every relationship that we have has a certain set of expectations, an expectation of benefits and values both given and received. Right? A husband and, and all of these expectations are different depending on the relationship that you have. So a husband and a wife has a very different set of expected values and benefits from a set of best friends. And a set of best friends has a different set of expected values and benefits, both given and received, than maybe a boss and an employee relationship, right? You get the concept. But this gets incredibly messy when we begin to blur the lines between the different kinds of relationships that we have. And it's not just that this gets messy when we blur these lines, but it also gets problematic when we start to look to these different relationships and expect to find things like benefits and value in people that we shouldn't, right? Like if I, as a man who is married to Andy, if I start looking for benefits and values that only Andy can give me in one of my best friends, that could create a whole lot of trouble. And if I start looking for a boss, now this is kind of hard for me. I have bosses, but pastors function in a little bit different way. But if, if you try to go to your boss and start expecting the same benefits and values from him that, or her that you do from a best friend, that could be problematic as well. This blurred line between relationships with expectations of benefits and values, it's problematic for us with our human relationships And how much more problematic is it when we begin to blur the line between human relationships and Jesus? And when we start to look to other people or other things to give us only what Jesus, our good shepherd, can give us. That's incredibly dangerous. That's incredibly problematic. And it's this exact problem that Jesus gets to in our gospel for this morning from John chapter 10. Now, John chapter 10 It is probably one of the best loved and most emotionally moving sections of the gospel, I think, that exists. Christians around the world for centuries have loved the picture that Jesus paints in this Good Shepherd discourse because it describes the intimate relationship that Jesus has with each and every one of you, with him as your Good Shepherd and you as his sheep. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They listen to my voice and they follow me. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and and no one can snatch my sheep from my hand. I am the good shepherd and I have come to give them eternal life. I have come to give them life so that they may have it to the full. This is incredible. I mean, you would have to be a stone for that not to emotionally move you in some way, shape, or form. I think Christians, and including many of you, are probably pretty familiar with this whole Good Shepherd discourse. But are you as familiar with the context in which it is spoken? Because it's actually spoken in kind of a stark and almost harsh context, this beautiful picture. Really, this Good Shepherd discourse is part of a much larger account that spans all the way back to the beginning of John chapter 9. And this Good Shepherd discourse is spoken into into response to what these religious leaders, these Pharisees, say to Jesus. Now, in the beginning of John chapter 9, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus heals a man who is born blind. And the Pharisees catch wind of what Jesus did, healing this man, on the Sabbath day, on God's holy day of rest. And so when the Pharisees hear about this, they don't really care much about the miracle. They don't care much about what came as a result of a miracle, a man blind from birth having sight again. They care 
that Jesus did work to perform this miracle on God's day of rest. And so they verbally attack and abuse not only the man who was born blind but now can see. I mean, they threw him out of the temple and said, you can't lecture us, man. You were born steeped in sin. You're like a, a hot tea bag that is dunked in sin over and over and over again. Get out of here. But then they also accost Jesus. They can't quite figure out who he is or what he is, so they call him either demon-possessed or a sinner. And so in response to these accusations, Jesus gives this beautiful good shepherd discourse. And he gives it to the Pharisees and to the crowds who are standing there so that they can better understand that he is the fulfillment of everything that God had promised through the scriptures that they hold to. That he is the good shepherd of God who came into this world to save his people from their sins. But interestingly enough, built into this good shepherd discourse is is a polemic against these religious leaders. He calls these Pharisees a, a number of different things that are quite shocking. He says, He says that they are thieves and robbers who do nothing but steal and kill. He calls them hired hands who who only care about themselves and not about the sheep. He calls them wolves who, who seek to attack and scatter the flock. This is a pretty harsh setting for this beautiful picture that we get to look at today of Jesus as our good shepherd. And the way that Jesus starts this section of our good shepherd discourse, I want to I read this beginning part again. John chapter 10, 11 through 13, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So to start out this this good shepherd discourse that we're looking at today, Jesus makes a comparison between himself as the good shepherd and between the hired hand. Now what is a hired hand? A hired hand is brought into the field or to the sheep pen to perform a specific set of duties and to receive a paycheck for those duties, right? He's not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. He doesn't care for the sheep. So strictly speaking, the hired hand is only there for himself, only there to care about himself, only there to earn a paycheck. Now to get that shepherd to hire him, this hired hired man, he promises all sorts of benefits and value to the shepherd, doesn't he? I'm going to care for the sheep, though we find out later he doesn't. But I'm going to care for the sheep. I'm going to lead them to green pastures so that they can eat, to quiet waters so that they can drink. I'm going to keep them all together and not lose any of them. He promises all sorts of benefits and value, but then what happens the moment things get difficult, the moment that that he sees that wolf coming, he runs. He runs because he doesn't care the sheep aren't his. He doesn't care for them at all. He's not the shepherd. He's only there for the paycheck. So he runs away because he only really cares about himself. Though he promises all sorts of benefits and value to the shepherd, he doesn't actually give anything to the shepherd. Instead, he is only there to get value from him. And in this account, a paycheck. So what is Jesus trying to teach us by making this comparison between himself as the good shepherd and the hired hand? Or maybe a better way to ask that question What kind of warning is Jesus giving to you and me about hired hands? And what does a hired hand in the world today look like? Well, a hired hand is anything in this world 
that promises to provide you with benefits and values if you have a relationship with it, but doesn't actually give you anything, doesn't actually give you any value. A hired hand is something that only is there to get value from you. Now, we all have hired hands that we chase after. It doesn't have to necessarily be a person. It can be a thing. Maybe for you, the the hired hand that you chase after is a certain uh, identifying with a certain political party, or it's taking a stance on a certain social issue of the day, or it's your relationship with social media, or it's your job, or it's uh, being very generous and supporting local businesses and nonprofits. And, in, and by themselves, there's nothing wrong with these things. But they're actually good. It's good to support local businesses. It's good in free America to take a political stance in some way, shape, or form. It's good to, su- to take a stance on social issues. It's good to, um, well, maybe social media isn't such a good example. So maybe don't spend a whole lot of time on social media. But um, these things aren't bad in and of themselves. And they make us feel good. They make us feel like part of something bigger than ourselves. They make us feel connected. And they're alluring. But therein lies the problem. The longer that you're connected to something like a hired hand and you're looking for it to provide you with the benefits and the values that it promises, the more the line becomes blurred between what it can and cannot provide you. And pretty soon, that line gets blurred not just between you and other relationships, but between the hired hand and what he can provide you and what Jesus, the good shepherd, can provide you. And you look to these things long enough. Pretty soon you start expecting spiritual benefits from these hired hands. Right when the line is blurred and you start looking to these hired hands for spiritual benefits, it looks like, it looks like when you think that, I, that having a certain political bent will get you a seat closer to God because somehow God is a Democrat or God is a Republican. Having that line blurred and looking to these hired hands for spiritual benefits looks like taking a stance on a certain social issue because you think that it will get you more clout with Jesus because after all, Jesus is the one who said that we should care for the poor and stand up for the downtrodden and the oppressed. Having these line blurred, lines blurred and looking to these hired hands for some sort of spiritual benefit looks like generously supporting local businesses and nonprofits because you think somehow that will equate to God pouring out more generously his arrow pointing down love and his forgiveness of sins. This is what happens when we blur the line between the hired hand and the good shepherd. And this is incredibly problematic uh, for a number of reasons. One, when has these hired hands actually given you the things that they promised to give you? Do you feel more valuable because you belong to a certain political party, or are they the ones who are actually getting benefits and values from you because you belong? Right? And you could chase out all of those examples with what I just said. But it's more problematic than that because when you are looking to these people or these things for spiritual benefits, at the first sign of some sort of trouble, and I'm not talking about just physical earthly trouble, I'm talking about the kind of trouble that happens when you're attacked spiritually. What happens? When you're attacked spiritually like that, what happens with the hired hand? Let's look at what Jesus says again in this. This would be verses 12 and 13. The hired hand, he's not the shepherd and, the, and does not own the sheep. 
So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. If you are putting your trust in a hired hand to provide for you the things that only the good shepherd can, namely care and provision and protection from spiritual enemies, well, the moment that you are attacked by one of these spiritual enemies, that hired hand is going to run far away and not actually give you the thing that it promised to give you. It's always going to let you down because a hired hand is only out for themselves. It's only out to get value for themselves. So this means that as God's people, as members of his flock, it is vital that we be able to distinguish between the hired hand and the good shepherd. So how is it that we do that? Let me tell, start off by saying it is not distinguished by reason or logic. It's not distinguished by feelings or emotions, because those are the things that lead us to trust in a hired hand in the first place. The only way to distinguish between the good shepherd and between a hired hand, it's, the answer is so simple, you're going to say, yes, pastor, I know, because you tell me this all the time, but the only way to distinguish it is the word of God. It's the only way to tell the difference between what is a hired hand and what is the good shepherd. And so since that is true, that this is the only way that we can distinguish between what is, the, what is the good shepherd and who is a hired hand, how in all the world can we expect to make that, that discernment between the two if we don't have a daily steady dose of the word of God? How in all of the world can we expect that line between the good shepherd and the hired hand to be unblurred if we think that the word of God only happens in worship on a Sunday morning and maybe only a few Sundays a month at that? How in all of the world can we expect to distinguish between the hired hand who promises us all sorts of things but then runs away and the good shepherd who promises and actually delivers the things that he promises if we, don't, if we aren't constantly in the word of God? The answer is we can't. The word of God is vital. It is of the utmost importance to be able to distinguish between these two things. Because it is only in the word of God that you understand and are told what the difference is between the two of them. And the difference between the hired hand and the good shepherd really boils down to this. It's a difference of commitment and capability, right? The good shepherd, Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's so committed to his sheep that he is willing to lay down his life for them. Now for an earthly shepherd... Laying down his life would mean absolute disaster for that flock. And do you understand why? Because if a predator comes and attacks the flock and the shepherd ends up dying to protect them, well, then that predator, that wolf, has free reign on the entirety of that flock. But that's not what happens when the good shepherd lays down his life. In a great reversal, in a way that is completely upside down, the good shepherd laying down his life actually gives you life. It actually gives you the thing that was taken from him. And the reason that is, is because Jesus doesn't just stop at laying down his life. He takes up his life again. Listen to what he says. This is verse, uh, this is verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus is so committed to you as sheep, as sheep that he's going to lay down his life for you to give you the thing that you and I need most. And it's not just that he's committed to you, he is also capable of doing the one thing that a hired hand could never do. A hired hand, be it a person or a thing, it eventually dies. And it can't take up its life again. But Jesus is not only committed to you, but he is capable of taking up his life. And so this is the difference then between a hired hand and the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life so that, so that he can take it up again. And then I guess the question naturally arises, why? Why would the good shepherd lay down his life? The simple answer is for the sheep. But dig deeper than that. Did Jesus, the good shepherd, lay down his life because he expects some sort of value and benefit from you in return for the things he did for you? Well, what can we as sinful human beings offer that is valuable and beneficial to the one who fills the heavens and the earth? What, what valuable and beneficial thing can we give to the one, the one in whom all creation lives and moves and has its being? What can we offer as sinful human beings to the God who is perfectly holy and just and right? The answer is we can't even though that is the thing that comes naturally to us as human beings. And so then we are left with one reason and one reason alone why the good shepherd would lay down his life and take it back up again. Because he's so committed to you, he loves you more than you and I can even fathom and imagine. And he loves you so much that he wanted to give you things that you and I could never find on our own and that we could never find in a hired hand. In laying down his life and taking it up again, in other words, rising from the dead, the good shepherd gives to you the full and free forgiveness of sins. And when your sins, no matter how terrible and grievous and haunting they are, when those sins are forgiven, that means one thing, that you're good with God. It means that your relationship with the holy and perfect God is made right. And when your relationship with God is made right, then that means you are part of the flock of God. And when you are part of the flock of God, that means that you get to enjoy life underneath the care and the provision and the protection of the good shepherd. And about his flock, about his father's flock, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my flock or I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as, did you catch that? Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Jesus is pointing out to you the kind of relationship that he now has with you because he took, he laid down his life and took it up again. It's the kind of relationship that he has with his Father, a relationship of complete intimacy, a relationship that knows, that knows who you are, that knows what you need, that knows every care and emotion and concern and feeling and pain and want that you have and he knows it all. He knows it all before you even know it about yourself. Life under the good shepherd is an incredible blessing because the good shepherd is constantly watching over you. In moments of hardship, the good shepherd gives you contentment. In moments of despair, the good shepherd, he quiets your soul with the, 
the beautiful rushing waters of his truth. He makes the cup of your life overflow with his goodness and love. The life as a sheep isn't always so great, is it? There are times as sheep where we walk through very dark valleys in life. When friends abandon you, when you lose people you love, when you get a diagnosis that you never thought you'd get, when Satan is trying everything that he possibly can to completely undo your faith. But even in those dark moments, your good shepherd walks through that valley with you. And he comforts you with his rod and with his staff. And he does all of this for one reason. And really that comes at the end of Psalm 23 that we sang today. Surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, that's why Jesus, the good shepherd, watches over and cares for and provides for his flock. Because he wants nothing more than for you to be in heaven with him. That's it. That's why he keeps you from attack and harm. That's why he gives you everything of benefit and value that you need in this life, so that in the next you have everything that is beneficial and valuable, namely standing in before the face of him who laid down his life and took it back up again. He's the only one who could do that for you. And not only is he the one, only one who could do it for you, but he did it for you. And now he gives it to you as a gift, something a hired hand could never do. Lord, continue to unblur that line between the hired hand and the good shepherd. And through your word, help us to always clearly see your son, our good shepherd, and everything that he gives to us. The peace and provision, the protection and the care, the love, the forgiveness, and life that never ends. In our good shepherd's name, amen.